0: All you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS cast with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 241 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the real big fish episode of the SLS cast because it turns out. That the ska punk band, Real Big Fish as an R-E-E-L, they actually wrote a song where there is only one lyric. And the lyric is the title of the song, the title of the song, of course, being 241. And with that wonderful little bit of real big fish knowledge, I, of course, am mad. And coming to us all the way from sunny
1: California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Hello. Hello, Matthew. How's the summer weather treating you over there? Um, it is fucking hot, yo. What, like, like, 83, 83 degrees in the shade? Jesus
0: Christ, no, it's like fucking 94 degrees outside right now. Yeah. At... 11.02 11:02 Central Standard Time on July 17th, 2017. It's fucking hot, yo.
1: And that's 11:02 p.m.
0: Correct, p.m. So it's hot. How are you
1: doing, man? <laughs> Good. I'm. I'm. I'm less hot. I was talking about episode or two ago about it being like 90 degrees in the apartment every day around like four o'clock or five o'clock at night. Well, I went out and purchased a portable air conditioner. Apparently, that is all the rage here in Southern California, since nobody has ACs, because normally there's no point. But, um, yeah, that's going. It's it's part AC and part sprinkler, because I didn't realize that you had to empty out a portable air conditioning unit all the effin' time, or it just starts spewing water all over the place.
0: (laughs) Well... On the bright side, at least you learn something, right? And it's always positive to learn something.
1: Especially when it damages your rug, your moose heads on the wall, your bearskin rug, your couch made out of ockjaw super pigs. Well, I would think that it would not be able to damage
0: a couch made out of ockjaw super pig.
1: Maybe. I don't know. Did, what is suede made out of? What material is Cow. suede? So, okay, you can damage suede. True,
0: but Aksha didn't appear very suedey. Looked more like a hippo skin. Yeah. So I don't have, know.
1: Have you ever touched a hippo? Nope. Really?
0: I'm 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 good. Thanks. More people, like in Africa, more people get killed by hippos than most almost anything else. It's ridiculous. Really?
1: Is it hippo? I thought it was rhinoceros. Is rhinocerai? Shit. What's plural for is it rhinoceri or rhinoceroses
0: Well if you if you listen to the I want a hippopotamus for Christmas I suppose it would be rhinoceroses because they use hippopotamuses in that song so um I assume with rhinoceros hippopotamus then it would be rhinoceroses
1: this is exciting conversation. There, yeah. the, <laughs> Just gets to the news. <laughs> well, no, there is actually one thing I wanted to ask you about. I, I sent you... I know you don't really check your Facebook messages that often, but I, I sent you a video, and I, I'm pretty sure you didn't watch it because I'm pretty sure you would have started our Skype call with asking me why the fuck did I make you watch that video. But I, I was curious, have you ever heard of... The tangerine, I think it's called the tangerine Oh, technique? yeah, grapefruit. Yeah. I, oh, grapefruit. I, okay, grapefruit so grapefruit
0: here's, let me, I mean, long story short, I fucking hate Facebook messages. Um, Facebook has enough of a control of your life. I don't use Messenger. So I just have this stupid notification staring at me on my phone all the fucking time, and I just keep forgetting to look it up whenever I log into my computer at home. And so that's why if you ever send me a Facebook message, it it could often be days or weeks before i ever get back to you um but on this one when i did finally get back like when i did finally check it like two and a half days later uh yes i am well versed in the grapefruit method with the (laughs) that yeah Mm mm-hmm Seeing that video saw that video on the what the fuck subreddit of reddit couple years ago,
1: did you practice doing making that noise? Because that's exactly
0: <laughs> what it's a one of those things where a dildo cannot unsee, cannot unsee. Like... And this is what this is what gets me about that whole grapefruit thing. Now I don't know about you, but I've eaten citrus in my life, <laughs> and I have peeled citrus in my life. And if you have any former fashion of a cut or a scrape on your fingers it's like pouring fucking acid into your goddamn hands now there are people out there not not everybody but there are people out there who do the manscaping and the waxing or the shaving and stuff could you imagine the amount of pain if someone attacked you with a fucking grapefruit on your pee, and there was a cut or something or some, or just irritation of any kind. I just they, they they shouldn't call it the grapefruit technique. You should call it the gonorrhea technique because I'm sure your
1: shit would be burning after that. Well, what what, what would happen if the if the juices from the grapefruit got inside the urinary meatus?
0: Oh yeah, the urethra. Ooh, yeah. I don't even want to know about that. Ooh, yeah, man. Mm-mm. I mean,
1: people don't like sticking toothpicks in there. Why would they allow well, grapefruit? Well, that is a fetish. There?
0: there is actually a fetish there called sounding. I don't know why it's called sounding. I don't know why you me, know this off sounds, the top of your because head. Because I'm the type of person that apparently knows what sounding is, and I'm the type of person that already knew what fucking grapefruit was. So, uh, yeah, just uh, whatever. Um, in, I grew up in the age of lol shock, so nothing virtually nothing gets by me. But uh, yeah, so that's where it's an actual fetish where dudes shove shit down their dick.
1: Oh my god, this is literally what that is. down the dick hole. Okay, okay. I'm not gonna you lie. I, I while you were talking about this so eloquently, <laughs> he I googled sounding. I Google imaged sounding. I'm looking at this. It's like
0: <laughs> he Google imaged it. I he did. Didn't Urban Dictionary it. He Google imaged it, folks. <laughs>
1: but 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 it's like I was looking at this, and it's like God, these are like a lot of like. I mean, I, I thought they were like piercing rods or no like these are medieval pp hole penetration contraptions
0: oh, yeah. and what's even worse is that they use them to
1: stretch so they get things that are bigger and bigger
0: and shove them down in there
1: can you please make that nasty dildo gagging sound for me <laughs> <laughs> that thing <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um well this conversation is definitely almost as uncomfortable as Blue Waffle.
0: The Blue Waffle <laughs> well, episode. Okay, so for okay, I said I mentioned Lol Shock. Alright, so since we're here now, we may as well go all the way through. Um Lol Shock L O L S H O C K, I'm sure it's still there if people want to look it up. Is one of the original shock sites right uh and and that that was where you would go and show people the two girls one cup trailer and all that kind of you know so whatever and they have one called like the sandbox or kids in a sandbox something with a sandbox right cats in a, don't know and when you click on it it's literally a chick shoving a vibrator a vibrator down this dude's dick hole and i'm like what the fuck does this even have to do? Like, two girls, one cup? Makes sense, right? It's two girls, it's one cup. What they're doing is disgusting, but at least, it, you know, there's a logic to it. There's no sand. There's no sandbox. There's, there's nothing that makes sense out of this, you know? I So, yeah, I don't you know. You know, in in
1: about ten more years, you're going to find something else that's more disgusting than the sandbox thing, and then you're going to be defending <laughs> the sandboxing thing. Like, oh, well, that makes sense but this thing man yeah, the, the they're, they're putting a truck in that thing, wiener.
0: the most disturbing thing and it's and i saw it on the lol shock thing and it is literally ingrained into my brain from all these years is one man one jar and basically, uh, don't 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 go. Look. I'm just going to tell you what it is, so don't worry about it. No, uh, I'm not. it's a mm-hmm. it, it's me. a guy. It, well, just for the audience as well. Oh. It is literally a guy shoves a glass jar up his. Oh my! Ass without the lid on, and it breaks, and he's just pulling shards out of his bloody. Oh my! Ass. So, yeah, that was the most disgusting, disturbing thing uh that uh, you know. And I was like, that's enough internet for this lifetime. But, of course, you always go back. Wait, what can you do?
1: On another note, when you Google image sounding, you also get a picture from of old-timey sailors, black and white, from the early 1900s, standing in front of a sounding machine. But I thought it was graphic because, like, he's kind of thrusting up into it. No, it's nothing like that. It's It's just a sounding Phrasing. machine that you use to measure <laughs> the water
0: depth. Phrasing, Donna is thrusting up into it really yeah, is that yeah are
1: the, these are the words where you say <laughs> well this this will be fun to go back and try not to edit too much of <laughs> <laughs> indeed
0: indeed <sighs> well moving along with the show cue the castration sound
1: check that mail sack check it good check that mail sack like you should
0: Oh man. That's right. That happened, folks. The castration happened again. Alright. We actually, we have a, we have a very empty sack this week. Yeah. N- nothing in there. There's nothing of note in the sack this week. But as always, send us an email if you would like. The show at slscast.com. And of course, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, uh, you can do that by following at
1: the slscast.
0: So, um, I guess shall we go ahead and get
1: to the news, sir?: Sounds good. We, oh, we uh, go. I guess that really doesn't answer what Yes, yes, we should definitely go to the news. <laughs> Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs>
0: Along with our new speedier format for the show, I think the news for this week is pretty self-explanatory. We lost two people pretty much on the same day, and uh, Tim, please let us know who we are doing for In Memoriam this week.
1: I do not have any of their information up.
0: Martin Landau and George Romero. Maybe you can nice look up
1: a little today. bit about Martin Landau and talk about him after I finish pulling stuff about romero out of my ass
0: <laughs> but uh
1: yeah we we lost two people uh martin landau which hopefully matt will have something pulled up about him and then we also lost i didn't think
0: i was gonna have to do that you you you, you you're the dude that handles the, the the obituaries man i was counting on you this week
1: <laughs> yes i'm stalling because i'm totally not googling an article about romero's passing at all all right
0: here we go from cnn.com by way of ralph ellis actor martin landau star of mission impossible dies at 89 uh martin landau 89 a character actor who starred on uh i'm sorry who starred in the 1960s television show mission impossible and won an oscar for playing bella lugosi in the movie ed wood died saturday his public publicist dick gutman said sunday night landau died at ucla medical center in los angeles following quote unexpected complications during a short Hospitalization, end quote, Guttman said in a statement. Landau was born June 28, 1928 in Brooklyn and worked as a cartoonist for the New York Daily News before becoming an actor. Landau's career spanned the decades. In 1957, he had a part in the play Middle of the Night uh, and ended up on the West Coast shortly thereafter. This is, uh, to the general public, Landau was best known for playing Master of Disguise Roll in Hand for a top-secret spy team in the 1960s, Mission Impossible, in which his then- Barbara Bain also starred. Uh, let's see here. Lando's career picked up again when he got a recurring role on the NBC comedy Buffalo Bill. Uh, and then he was also nominated for three Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor for playing Abe Karatz and Francis Coppola's Tucker in 1988, the adulterous husband Judah Rosenthal in Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors in 1989, and the aging horror movie star Bella Lugosi in Tim Burton's Ed Wood in 1994. He won the Oscar for the Ed Wood role. Near the end of his career, he played Bob Ryan, an aging movie producer in the HBO series *Entourage*. The character's catchphrase, with an exaggerated idea, followed by quote, "Would that be something you'd be interested in?" Quote, end quote, became the something of a pop culture joke. That uh, was definitely the bulk of the brief article there from CNN, from the entertainment section. Again, from CNN.com, by way of Ralph Ellis. Actor Martin Landau, star of Mission Impossible, dies at 89.
1: From the LA Times.com, George A. Romero, Night of the Living Dead, creator dies at seventy-seven. This here is written by Trevell Anderson, and it says this. It was the night of April 4th, 1968, and George A. Romero was driving to New York City from Pittsburgh on a mission. In the days to come, he was to meet with film studios in hopes that one might buy the horror film he was lugging in his truck. Night of the Flesh Eaters. None of the studios was interested, but Romero still managed to get his $114,000 film in front of audiences that year. And though critics panned the picture, retitled Night of the Living Dead, moviegoers were mesmerized, packing theaters, hitting the drive-ins and droves, and making Romero the father of the modern movie zombie Romero's Living Dead franchise went on to create a subgenre of horror movie whose influence across the decades has endured, seen in movies like The Purge and TV shows like The Walking Dead. Romero died Sunday in his sleep after a brief but aggressive battle with lung cancer, according to a family statement to The Times provided by his longtime producing partner Peter Grunwald. He was 77. Romero died while listening to the score of one of his favorite films, 1952's The Quiet Man, with his wife, Suzanne Romero, and daughter, Tina Romero, at his side, the family said. Romero will be remembered best for co-writing, along with Johnny Russo and directing Night of the Living Dead, which showed later generations of filmmakers such as Tobe Hooper and John Carpenter that generating big scares didn't require big budgets. Living Dead spawned an entire school of zombie knockoffs, and Romero's own sequels were 1978's Dawn of the Dead, 1985's Day of the Dead, 2005's Land of the Dead, 2007's Diary of the Dead, and 2009's George A. Romero's Survival of the Dead. And the article does go on from there... ...for quite a bit more, actually. It's not too incredibly long, but it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, if you do want to check it out, I highly encourage it. Again, via the latimes.com George A. Romero, Night of the Living Dead, creator dies at 77. Yeah, RIP to both of these guys. Martin Landau, man. One of my favorite performances of his... ...and actually one of my favorite performances in any movie ever... ...was his performance in Ed Wood... Man, like, especially if you know the history behind Bela Lugosi and what he was going through at the time and how eager he was to become the Prince of Horror again. I forgot, was he the Prince of Horror was that Vincent Price? I can't remember. But uh, he really wanted to be back in that limelight. You know, he was cast aside. And just Martin Landau, how he played that character, he just he did such a great job. And you really do feel sorry for him. And... When I first watched that movie as a kid, I saw Martin Landau as Bela Lugosi, and from then on, I've only seen him in that role. Obviously, not literally, but figuratively, I just liked it that much. Matt, were you a fan of Martin Landau and how he portrayed Lugosi in *Edwood*?
0: I really was. Um, I, I did not really get around to watching the 1960s Mission Impossible until... Really, until after I had seen the, the 90s movie, because I wanted to go back. I mean, I had always seen flashes here and there, and maybe kind of an episode on in the background or whatever, because, you know, it was in syndication and whatnot. But, I didn't go back and really start watching it then, uh, uh until after, uh, you know, tom cruise did mission impossible in the 90s and then of course now i'm watching ed wood in the 90s as well and i had um a big obsession with ed wood back when i was a senior in high school because i had actually we actually recreated most of plan nine from outer space for our drama project uh at school and is there so, a video
1: of it somewhere
0: oh i don't have it but yes i know that there's a video of the video that I have from a separate project is actually a recreation of a sketch that we did from the Carol Burnett show. So I have I do have that. That's cool. Maybe when you come down I'll dig it up for you. But uh something that the two things that I really did pull away was how much Bella Lugosi desperately needed recognition. For him the money the trappings all the other stuff that was nice but what got him through the day his drug of choice was recognition um and i think that's why he and ed wood um were so tight uh, because i think there are a lot of people who uh, would like to characterize Ed Wood as someone who took advantage of Bela Lugosi. Um, and I think that inadvertently that is true. Um, but I believe that Ed Wood sincerely, truly admired bella Lugosi and really thought of him as one of his Hollywood heroes. And that was the basis of the relationship you know bella was under no illusions that he was doing the stupidest shit on the face of the planet but at that point he was so desperate for any kind of recognition um, that he had no problem he wouldn't vacillate on these things he would literally just lay down in the water and throw the fucking octopus arms around Um, and ed wood equally fed off of that and so that was a real big eye opener for me when I saw Ed Wood, and um, it made me respect Martin Landau as an actor, for sure. Faux show, and I guess on faux that show? note, <laughs> faux show, faux
1: show. You want to do uh, your next piece, or I, I have no pieces. Oh, you don't? No, you I figured, have hey, no
0: pieces. I okay. am trying. I, I I thought since it was my fault that our pre-show went over for so long, that to keep us on our recording timetable, we'll only cover the pertinent things, which would be the RIPS, and then we would jump right into the movie.
1: Oh no, we got we got time. Get a little time. There there's at we least got, one Thirty
0: four minutes and change. We do. So not yeah. as much time as you think. And I need to talk about. I really feel the need to talk about war for the Planet of the Apes, or as I like to call it, Maurice's nose looks like a chocolate starfish.
1: All right, well let's let me just do this one piece of news because it's uh...
0: or or
1: hang or Maurice is really silent Bob. Who is Maurice? Oh, gotcha. Well. This Dude. pertains but let me let, <laughs> let me pertain this pertains to Tarantino and his new movie that apparently he might he's going to be doing next. And I'm just kind of curious. I've been curious as to what uh you think about this. There's been a lot of speculation that he was going to do another western. He only has apparently two more movies to go before he retires. And instead of doing another Western, apparently he wants to tackle the Manson murders. Real quick here, via thehollywoodreporter.com, Quentin Tarantino prepping new movie tackling Manson murders. This here is written by... somebody. Oh, it's by... (laughs) written by Boris Kitt. And quickly it says this, Quentin Tarantino is quietly starting to put together his latest project and is talking to A-list actors for what is promising to be a unique take on the Manson family murders. The project, whose title is unknown, was written by Tarantino, who would also direct Harvey and Bob Weinstein, who have produced and executive produced Tarantino's previous films are involved, sources tell The Hollywood Reporter. W.M.E. is said to be in the early stages of shopping the project to studios to co-finance and co-distribute the venture, similar to the way Tarantino and the Weinsteins made the filmmakers' 2009 movie Inglorious Bastards, which had Universal Studios as a financial and distributing partner. Sources say that Tarantino's putting the finishing touches on the script and that Brad Pitt, who worked with the filmmaker on Bastards and Jennifer Lawrence, have been approached. Studios could receive the package after Labor Day, according to one source. The plan is to shoot in 2018, possibly in the summer. Script details are scant, but one of the stories centers on Sharon Tate, the actress and wife of director Roman Polanski, who was murdered by Manson and his followers in 1969. Manson had ordered a group of his followers to attack the inhabitants of a house in the Benedict Canyon area of L.A., believing it was owned by a record producer who earlier had rejected him. Over the course of several hours on the night of August 8th, the four followers, using guns and knives, brutally killed Tate, who was eight months pregnant, and four other occupants. In 1971, Manson and members of his crew were sentenced to life imprisonment for these and several other murders. Committed that summer, if the Manson Tate project does become Tarantino's next film, it will be his first movie based on true events. Any talks with actors are in the early stages, and one insider said that Jennifer Lawrence is not considering the Tate role. End all quotes there. Since this, another article came out going into more detail about stuff, uh, and apparently I think Margot Robbie, he's been talking to Margot Margot Robbie about playing Sharon Tate. So I know quite a bit about the whole Manson murders thing, and it is a very depressing story, especially if you know anything about Roman Plansky, just how much it messed him up. Absolutely sad. I mean, a lot of people died who honestly didn't deserve to die. Most people, I mean, usually people don't deserve to die, but these were genuinely nice people. Like Sharon Tate was a very nice woman and all of her friends were very nice people. And the uh, heiress to Folgers, she was one of the victims as well. I, I forget her first name, somebody Folgers, but I, I was thinking about this and going back. And I, I, one thing I hope, and Matt, please jump in after I say this, cause I, I'm curious. Uh, one thing that I'm hoping is that since this is a true story and knowing how Tarantino can be with the stories, he can be quite graphic and quite unforgiving with how he handles certain things. I just hope in some way the movie is tasteful because of how horrible the story is. I, I can see it easily being somewhat offensive and and being just uh, about the entertainment value and not necessarily doing any justice towards you know, the, the actual victims and and whatnot. That, I mean, that's one thing. And, and that's why I went, when I first heard about this being potentially his next movie, I just wasn't exactly sure how I felt about it. Matt, what do you think about this?
0: I think that it, uh, if anyone can do this justice, he can. And hmm. I would, yes. And here's what I would like to point to. Uh, the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards. Very, very minimal violence. And yet, you are 100% given the, just the sheer amount of terror, the evil, the malevolence of everything that was considered Nazi. And they did it strictly in dialogue. Now, you combine this with someone who understands how to use violence, and I mean understands, not shock value, not always doing something completely outlandish, not, it understands how to use violence, which is what, which Tarantino knows. And I think people will walk away with an understanding of two things. Number one, the, terror that people lived under when you mentioned the the mansons um, and number two just exactly why you shouldn't joke about the mansons and what they did to sharon tate and the and the other people who died there that night i don't think you'll have to worry I really and truly don't think you'll have to worry about it not, about it being handled in a way that would, that, that would not, I don't, honor's not the right word, but I definitely don't, I, I, I don't believe it would dishonor what happened to those, to those people that evening. And I think you will be filled with righteous indignation, uh, and rightfully so. So. I'm I'm personally I'm hoping that everything pans out. I'm hoping this is all this is true and accurate and everything will move forward. I would like to see this movie.
1: Yeah. Well, it looks like slash sounds like it's going to be a possibility. All right. Well, Matthew, you made me See, I'm I'm glad I forced your hand into discussing this news piece because I can sleep better at night knowing that possibly, <laughs> just possibly, you gave me hope that tarantino might do well by the whole sharon tate manson murders thing i can sleep soundly Th- thank you matthew thank you
0: you're welcome i'm here to help <laughs> not to hurt that is my motto all right well then without further ado let's go jump into the movie what do you say sir let's jump here we go folks it's the movie we <laughs> This week's movie is a War for the Planet of the Apes. Real quickly, we're going to do a recap of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So uh, back from episode 84, here's your little recap to kind of catch you up on where we're at. finding that virus but we are survivors it was a virus created by scientists in a lab
1: you can't blame the apes
0: who the hell else am I gonna blame we need to give them a chance
1: welcome to animals please
0: I've seen things, I've seen the way they are they want what we want to survive
1: Caesar, all is your own are home. Are you aware they are going to turn on you? They don't want a war. No, don't shoot! Caesar, you have to go. Go where? Together, strong. War
0: It's not what you want. There must be another way. Now, me, I personally think this one should have been called Rise of the Planet of the Apes and the other one should have been called Dawn of the Planet of the Apes because the stories don't make any sense according to the titles, but hey, whatever. This one here is the 2014 American science fiction film. It's directed by Matt Reeves and, of course, stars Andy Serkis as Caesar. This is 10 years after the end of Rise of the Planet of the Apes and humans have pretty much... All, all but have been wiped out. And in the city of San Francisco, you have this remaining population who has taken over a portion of the city that was also a quarantine zone, and they are in desperate need of power. They've been running on diesel generators, and now they need to get uh, back to uh, hydroelectricity. Um, in the mountainous area, Because, remember, San Francisco is getting into Northern California. You have uh, Caesar and his clan, which is an absolute huge amount of apes. And they have been living peacefully and uh, living off the land and everything. Their communication skills, of course, um, are primarily in sign. But they do have a few of the more highly uh, evolved, I guess you could say, uh, can actually speak. We have basically a series of clashes between the two species that erupt when the humans are trying to get a hydroelectric dam back online to get power back down to San Francisco, even on just a limited basis. This movie, I think, has a better connection to the idea that beings of this earth especially as you become more sentient are more alike than we care to admit and i and it i think it does a better job of telling that kind of a story overall in this film than it did in even rise of the planet of the apes one thing that i thought that it did to a to a pretty large detriment is create the unnecessary need for bad guys There are bad guys on the human side, and there's bad guys on the ape side. And the motivation, I I can at least buy the motivation for the bad guys on the ape side. But the bad guys on the human side literally are just kind of there to do nothing more than advance the plot. And you can see it from the word go. And And it's just irritating because... It, they just fall into a trope and it's disappointing because one of these bad guys is someone that I really like as an actor. The movie has very decent action scenes and I really think that especially in terms of ape culture, they have, you know, Jane Goodall would be proud, uh, you know, the are there is definitely a real feel like you're in an evolving ape culture that is definitely taking on traits of humanity as it retains the culture that has been part of the animal kingdom for, you know, however many years you want to attribute to that. Unfortunately, Again, you've got the clashes that keep occurring more to advance the plot and the overall story arc than to do anything else. But then you have the glimpses of when they come together and you, and they see eye to eye. They're just, those are just done so, so well. And the special effects, definitely gotta hand it to them on this one. I, I'm a huge, huge fan of the motion capture and everything that they did for these movies, uh, especially with the amount of work that had to be done considering how many apes we've got going on in this one. All in all, I definitely got to say that I like this movie. Uh a tad long, but not not anything that's going to really detract from it. Actually, the 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 feeling of it being long occurs actually in the beginning, which is kind of nice because by the time it gets going, it pretty much stays going. Any pacing issues are pretty much taken care of 20 minutes into the movie. That being said, all those bad guy moments, everything that, especially on the human side, really drug this movie down for me. Does it, d- would I say don't go see this movie? No, it's still worth seeing. I definitely like this movie, but it does pull it down from really liking this movie. I'm going to give this one 3.75 stars. Check it out. It is good, but it does have its faults. Ames!
1: Do not want war. this movie gets a little too much becomes too much of the same by the end it's like let's go from the forest to san francisco back to the forest to san francisco you make me angry i'm your friend you make me angry i'm your friend he makes me angry i'm still your friend it just it was just kind of like the same thing you know just the same stuff happening and by the end of it the freshness really wasn't there but I make that sound like it's a huge deal, but it really is not. It's what keeps this movie from being a great film. CGI is fantastic. There's some great moments with the apes. Uh, the apes, unfortunately, were the better actors than, <laughs> than the human beings. Even I think Gary Oldman was wasted. Absolutely agree with you there, sir. He's a fantastic actor. Yet it's like, okay, hey, let's uh, throw you in the role of a misunderstood bad guy and there you go. You know, right. and he I mean nobody's there's not really a bad guy, which is kind of interesting and plays for really neat for whatever characters you root for or don't root for. You know, so it's very interesting. And Andy Circus man, he he revolutionized this motion capture and you can definitely tell it's exciting to see that one day, hopefully, he might get a nomination from doing motion capture. Because he obviously is what you can see from, like, the behind the scenes footage. He is acting. You know, that is him performing. All those apes are actors performing. That art definitely deserves some kind of recognition. If it's not best actor or whatever, it's definitely a, a technical achievement. An acting technical achievement. I don't know. But, uh, this movie wasn't a letdown. By any means, it wasn't a letdown. Uh, It's really good. This might even be a movie that grows on me. Who knows? I I hope one day I can change my review. But based on the theater experience that I had, which might not have been the great theater experience, Regal Cinemas in Los Angeles, I give this one 3.75 as well. And now
0: that you have had a chance to kind of get into the mode that is War for the Planet of the Apes, we now present War for the Planet of the Apes who is child i don't know but she was you
1: she has no one else
0: we are not savages apes fight only to survive
1: bad human kill (laughs) apes all all dead now in a long time time. Bad humans. Soldier.
0: Years from now, your children will ask you what did
1: you do in the greatest war? And you can tell them, I fought to protect this world.
0: We created them. but now, we will bring an end to their kind. No mercy. No.
1: You are impressive. You're smart as hell. You're stronger than we are. But
0: you're taking this all much too personally. So emotional! I did not start this war. But I will finish it. Alright, so... War for the Planet of the Apes, 2017, American science fiction Films, directed by Matt Reeves, written by Mark Mark Bomback and Matt Reeves. This, of course, is the sequel. Um, I guess kind of the final chapter in the trilogy that was Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, of course, which we just you just started talking about, and then finally War for the Planet of the Apes. Um, we're picking up. Um, not a whole hell of a lot of time after uh dawn of the planet of the apes but definitely some time has passed um they're not really specific on that but um now we're dealing with caesar uh has actually started to make plans to just basically get the fuck out of dodge um he is unable to do so um and is attacked right at the beginning of the movie and kind of just says look guys you know they they gain the upper hand it's kind of touch and go for a moment but they do gain the upper hand and they've got some survivors prisoners and instead of killing them they actually say all right go tell them just give us the forest no one has to die anymore and it really all they're trying to do is just buy time till they can go and hopefully find a new place to live um that of course. Cannot stand, courtesy of um, Woody Harrelson, who plays the colonel, and he's got his own uh, nefarious activities and ideas in mind for the apes. Um, and then of course shenanigans ensue. So I have had a problem with this series from the fucking get go. Okay, and it's a problem, and it was such a problem that they addressed it. In the first 30 seconds of the movie. When you start something, right? Like the day starts with the dawn. And after we have the dawning of something, then we have the rise of something. And when that rise of something causes conflict, it creates war so that the cycle of civilization, however it pans out, can continue. This is actually like a real a historiological cycle, okay, you have a dawn, you have a rise, you have the pinnacle, and then you have the fall, all right, look, you know, the Greeks had it, right, Mesopotamia had it, the Egyptians had it, Roman, the Romans had it, what the fuck do we start off with rise and then go to dawn, that's just, it has bothered me for six fucking years, okay, six years has bothered me, and they literally go, so 15 years ago, we had the rise of the simian flu that created this new species, and then, at the dawn of this new civilization, they literally write this on the fucking screen so they can justify how they fucked up the titles. so we're setting off on we're we're, we're setting the course with a really low bar already um then we have all sorts of we have all sorts of issues oh god it's all sort um we we, we've got uh the allegory is just unreal where we have uh apes working with the humans literally literally called donkeys okay um and uh they they even have like donkeys spray painted on their back and stuff um and they're treated like second class citizens and yet you ask yourself but why why would you fight for these humans they're just gonna kill you and uh you know whatever the they they loosely try to explain it off uh in a very stupid fashion as a way to tie it into the previous movie Um, you've got issues where, um, very few of the apes are able to talk, but virtually all of them can sign. And yet they do this half-hearted signing, which is fine, because you do have see and say, right? You have S-E-E, which is speak exact English, which, uh, uh, from my understanding and the things that I've learned in life, um, that is ridiculously formal in sign language and is usually looked down on so you then you have say which is like sign american something or other i can't remember what it and basically um you you infer your prepositions and stuff like that you so that basically it's not i'm going to the store you just kind of sign go store and then you can kind of fill it in from there um so they use that but then there are times in the movie where it's pretty clear that they're signing to caesar but caesar can't see what they're signing and then responds because he knows what they're talking about and then they kind of like make it so that maybe it's the communication of the grunts and their vocal patterns that also kind of You know, elaborate on their state of mind or the things they're trying to communicate, which is fine, but it's kind of like, just pick one. And they do it the whole movie, the whole movie they do it. And then you've got kind of this back and forth, what kind of movie are we trying to tell is this like the great escape is this kind of like a uh a 2017 version of animal farm is is it some kind of uh you know humans just don't deserve to live or uh how about how bad of how bad do you have to feel for humans when you don't care whether or not humans live the only things you care about are the apes right insert oppressed people here uh kind of a thing there's just so much stuff going on and we even and then they they even try they try they try for comic relief folks they actually try for comic relief in the form of a zoo escapee uh, a, a chimp from a zoo that escaped and is found later on uh but the but but don't worry folks this this one can talk, and he does a really bad Owen Wilson impersonation. Um, actually, I'm going to check the cast list. Is is is? Uh,
1: uh, it's Steve Zahn who plays him.
0: Is it Steve Zahn? It is Steve Zahn. Okay, so that makes sense. So yeah, Steve Zahn doing a bad Owen Wilson. Um, and the thing is, is that we've gotten so used to seeing this level of CGI from the from the Apes franchise, that it really looks like it's a video game now. Like it looks, it l- truly looks like a video game cutscene half the time. And I mean, I understand the motion motion capture is really good. That that there the people are really on set and communicating and whatnot. But it's just we've gotten to the point where. In this particular instance, this is a, this is an instance of the special effects are so good that they're bad. Because even when it's just ape with ape, and the finale, um, of the film is a really good example of this, um, uh, the entirety of the scene is CGI, right? So it should be pretty easy. It's not something that should jar you or anything like that. And yet it's patently obvious that it is cgi and it kind of breaks the the illusion that the film is trying to give you and yet people still won't go and watch a fucking cgi movie unless it says pixar on it oh my god there's just so many problems all over the place so let's get to the humans so i've covered the apes a lot let's get to the humans oh i'm sorry let me finish with the apes so with the apes though we got maurice now maurice is the huge huge orangutan with the big flat pancakey face Um, and I don't know what it was, but something, the movie literally left me time to think about things. I thought about Foley artists and stuff. Um, I thought about the hat that I was wearing that I had taken off and kind of had it on my knee. I thought about taking a nap. Um, and then something I'm looking at Maurice and I realized something, his nose literally looks like an asshole. Like, it looks like a fucking chocolate starfish. Um, and then, and then, so to distract me from that, thankfully, I guess maybe the producers understood that that could happen. They turned Maurice into fucking Silent Bob, a la Chasing Amy. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, who for whatever reason have not seen Chasing Amy, uh, which will probably be very few of you, um, just to kind of enlighten you, it's Jay and Silent Bob, right? This is the Viewesk universe, and Jay and Silent Bob. Well, Silent Bob breaks his fucking silence. And the thing is, is that where it, it's meant to be something that is important, is something that is there to to help you to just realize just exactly the gravity with which Maurice has finally chosen to speak. And yet at that time, it's like, why the fuck isn't he talking the whole goddamn time? And they do kind of address that a little bit later on. But at the same time, it's too late. You've already broken the illusion. If you're going to break the illusion, break it all the way. Don't do this half-assed bullshit. Going to the human side, now that we've done done with the monkey side, with the ape side, let's go to the human side. Human side... Not really that bad, outside of the fact that it's pretty much just Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson actually, um, is truly as fucked up of a character as he is. Um, you, you gotta admire his intestinal fortitude. It's, he, he is single-minded in his approach, which of course is the fatal flaw of the character. But, His single-mindedness, given the extreme circumstances that the entire franchise takes place, makes sense. Now, that single-mindedness also creates problems in terms of uh, giving you the rest of the movie. I mean, it's basically, uh, you know, uh, uh, what am I trying to think of? His character is basically the plot device um he's the impetus for everything that you need for this particular movie to move um but i'll be damned i mean if he's not just a great actor and doing a doing a very decent job with the character and it all revolves around um basically it all revolves around the sickness and this sickness is the key to making you understand the whole arc of the story i don't i feel like i've said too much so i i won't say any more beyond that other than to say despite all of this tragic tragic flaws there are there are some spots of life to it you can see that the acting is good you can see that they at least were you could see the story you can see the framework of the story that they were trying to tell and honestly despite the video game as the video game cutscene-esque um cgi there's some really good stuff going on there too i just feel like it just was too muddled to be truly something that was that's worth appreciating um at the end of the day I, i i really wasn't a fan of this series at all the first one was was pretty good i i i gotta say it was pretty
1: good um
0: let's see i'm gonna go back here to episode 84 right quick three points uh,
1: three point seven five we both gave it so.
0: a three point seven five okay so and and you know the second one wasn't so bad um but i just could not get into this one i really could not get into this there's there's a lot that it had going for it but not not enough to make me care to do anything else um Two point five out of five. Uh, people, there were people in the movie. Like there was a couple in the movie, and the the woman was crying. Uh, a few people laughed at Steve's on in the. There, I heard some chuckles and stuff. Um, so there are people that like it, and I understand it's got a, a ninety four, I think, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I, I mean, I get it, but I think beyond the fluff, beyond the CGI, it's just um it's just not that great 2.5 out of 5
1: fascinating i i knew my significant other joined me in seeing this movie yesterday and she wasn't a big fan of it it's not really her type of movie but i told her like i i'm pretty sure matt's gonna have a lot to say about this one and i was absolutely right but i'm still i'm pretty taken back that you didn't like it or enjoy it as much but anyways here's my review so I was listening to our episode 84, our 2014 *Donna the Planet of the Apes review, and I was reminded that even though I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, we both gave it a 3.75, I was annoyed with how they utilized their set pieces. In particular, how the film felt like it was constantly flip-flopping between the woods where the apes are stationed and the city of San Francisco where the humans are stationed. Most of the major altercations or story elements took place in either of these two locations. This wasn't necessarily a horrible idea, it works for the story, but both locations always looked aesthetically the same, which became repetitive and not very pretty to watch. Now, War of the Planet of the Apes changes things up a little bit by offering Varying weather patterns, locations, and set pieces, adding to the film's overall adventure aspect. There are, however, a couple annoyances worth mentioning, one that might have worked if it had been approached differently, and another annoyance that came from a tactic, a tool, to add drama and raise the stakes. I was both annoyed and worried when... At the start of War of the Planet of the Apes, there are these blatant and unnecessary references to the Vietnam War. The flick opens with a group of soldiers, an infantry under the leadership of the story's antagonist, the colonel played by Woody Harrelson, advancing through the heavily wooded Muir Woods towards a stronghold belonging to the ape clan still led by their adored leader of the apes, Caesar. The soldiers are dressed in standard modern-day clothing, including helmets and other various gear. One of the opening shots is from behind a group of these soldiers as they covertly make their way through the brush. The camera keeps close to these soldiers, framing the shot around what's handwritten on the backs of their helmets, being what the audience is to focus on. The writing on those helmets is identical in style and meaning to the helmet graffiti worn by the American soldiers in the Vietnam War. One of the most popular pieces of Vietnam War era helmet graffiti that might come to mind is Born to Kill, which was made universally popular in Stanley Kubrick's full metal jacket. But the most famous outside of Born to Kill is Gook Killer. And gook, of course, is referring to the highly offensive slang term for the Vietnamese that was popular amongst the American forces in Vietnam. In War for the Planet of the Apes, the filmmakers don't shy away from blatantly referencing Vietnam because instead of gook killer, written on the back of one helmet is ape killer. Now, I'm unable to recall really any of the other helmet graffiti that was repurposed for this movie, but Ape Killer definitely stands out as an obvious connection for the audience to make, strategically placed there by the filmmakers. Nostalgia fatigue is something that I've been experiencing a lot as of late Logan is structured as a western, Kong Skull Island models its vibe as a war flick and its characterizations, music, and Vietnam-era soldier psyche on the music and Vietnam soldier stereotypes closely associated with the films about that particular period in time. The last thing I was expecting from this movie was a cliched callback to a war that many are only familiar with because their favorite movie is either Forrest Gump or Apocalypse Now. However, I was relieved for the time being, because once the action that immediately follows begins, the story really takes off, and there are no other blatant callbacks or cliches. That is, until Caesar finally comes face-to-face with the Colonel mid-movie. When we are reintroduced to Woody Harrelson's The Colonel, he approaches a balcony, looking out over the hundred-plus men under his control, wearing light brown, a light brown shirt, and I would suspect standard-issued undershirt, tucked into his camouflage pants. The colonel finishes shaving his head with a straight razor, relishing in his power before speaking into a microphone. I didn't think too much of it at the time, but when Caesar is brought into the colonel's chambers for a talk... The Vietnam cliches returned. And then it hit me. Caesar is venturing into the heart of darkness. But not by way of Joseph Conrad's character of Marlowe. Instead, Caesar follows the path of Francis Ford Coppola's Benjamin L. Willard, played by Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now. Harrelson's The Colonel mirrors Brando's Colonel Kurtz almost exactly with being bald, donning the same camo face paint, and wearing near-identical clothing. As Caesar learns that the colonel is looked down upon by the much larger and better equipped army of humans stationed up north, the colonel's deranged outlook on life and society becomes incredibly comparable to Kurt's as well. This is when the Vietnam War cliches returned to the movie in full swing and temporarily ejected me from the cinematic experience. Hey Joe by Jimi Hendrix makes an appearance as the only modern music to be heard as an introduction to the colonel. And more graffiti appears, this time inscribed on a tunnel wall in the Apocalypse Now font. Ape-pocalypse. That's right. A-P-E dash Y-P-S-E. Ape-pocalypse. It just doesn't feel necessary. The Vietnam stuff works for Kong Skull Island because of its non-serious and silly tone, and it takes place during the Vietnam War. Now, if it helped the colonel become a more compelling character, maybe it would have worked. And if the filmmakers just did away with all that blatant imagery which doesn't even progress the story or add any more depth to any of the characters, maybe the colonel's mirroring of Kurtz would have been more nuanced and less cliched. War for the Planet of the Apes marks the end of 20th Century Fox's current trilogy, and despite the annoyances, may very well be my favorite entry. What they have accomplished in storytelling and character building with these movies is a truly unique cinematic experience. It actually felt like I witnessed Caesar's journey and transformation, making all of his struggles and losses resonate emotionally. I had mentioned the adventure aspect earlier, but the drama, the drama is what is truly in the forefront. Lastly, my final complaint. Emotion is key for us to care about the characters. Too much emotion, early on, leaves little for when we need it most, especially at the end of the final movie of a trilogy, such as this. Now, without giving away too much, one friendly ape dies while assisting Caesar. Matt Reeves, the director, takes the time to establish humanity and kindness. The reason why the audience should like... This particular ape. Only mere moments before its death, all that happens. Now, I'm, I'm really unable to come up with any other reasoning for doing this, but just to establish the humanity and kindness within this ape who may not have shown it beforehand. But really, when it comes down to it, it's a beautiful film. It's well made, and it accomplishes so much that many movies could not, especially when it comes to CGI, uh, motion capture performances, the, the the looks, the gestures. It's truly amazing and devastating at the same time. Because I found myself really caring about Maurice. Maurice it's like you know, kind of if Maurice got the axe, I man, that, I, I, who knows? I might have cried. <laughs> you know, like like I really felt something. And despite the issues that I had. I was still feeling it by the end of the movie. And I know, Matt, you're talking about Caesar still being able to understand the other apes when they're only doing sign language. But maybe the grunts are kind of assisting him in trying to figure out what they're saying. For me, it was all in the eyes. Like when Caesar was looking at something and he was sad. He was there in the moment. I I, Man, I, I was able to see... The, the eyeballs just shift to the side so that maybe his peripherals were able to pick it up. Now, I don't know if that was the case or not, but that's that's what I got out of it. And that alone is just something... It, it's that nuance. It's that nuance that I love and crave the most. And I really got it in this movie. So I'm giving it despite the faults. And really, I, I mentioned a lot of the faults, but it doesn't happen constantly throughout the movie it's just kind of in a, in a handful of chunks I guess I'm still giving this movie a 4.5 out of 5 I really liked it that much um, I know beforehand I, I mentioned that I gave the second movie Dawn of the Planet of the Apes 3.75 out of 5 I went back and rewatched it before I went to go see War of the Planet of the Apes like the morning of and I, I like that one a lot more more than 3.75 out of 5. If I had to go back and re-rate it, I probably would have given it a 4.25. But War for the Planet of the Apes, 4.5 in my book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys think of it as well. I see, girl. I think you're human. Oh, but you ape, like me.
0: How long have you been here? A long,
1: long time.
0: But they're more like you. More apes from zoo dead
1: all dead long time
0: human get sick ape get smart
1: then human kill ape but not me i run you learn to speak listen human bad ape Friends, Hmm. special day.
0: Where did you get this? Bad place. Human zoo. Bad human. Bad humans. Soldiers. Soldiers. Can you take us? Human zoo? No.
1: No. No, go back there. Very safe here. Never go back. Look, look, look more snow cannot go must stay
0: right on right on all right well that does conclude the movies for this week next week next week's movies are going to be dunkirk and the big sick so yeah and i think without further ado i believe it's time for the spiel is it not sir
1: spiel on is there something wrong with the food no the food was excellent perhaps you're not happy with the service no no complaints it's just that we have to go i'm having rather a heavy period and we have a train to catch oh Oh, yes yes of course we have a train to catch and i don't want to start bleeding all over the seats
0: the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Carize of Solace. You can check them out at RebopNation.com and Facebook.com. Both slash cries of solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at slscast.com. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. And don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Andy Circus, I get to say this be magnificent. Life's short. Get out there. You can do it. Everyone can do it.
1: Everyone. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam? Perhaps we should be going? Oh, there we are, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur.